Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about what you can take away from narcissists to boost your professional and academic success and the groundbreaking and potentially life-saving discovery that came from studying tumors that can grow teeth. Plus, you'll hear how the prediction of a solar eclipse helped end a war, restore an economy, and leave an impact on some of history's greatest minds. In the second installment of our Moon Monday miniseries, let's satisfy some curiosity. Narcissism isn't just a psychological condition. It's a personality trait. All of us have some degree of narcissism, and it turns out that you can actually use that to your advantage. Get ready to have your narcissist stereotypes shattered and find out what you could actually learn from people who know how to harness their inner narcissist. According to a September 2018 study from Queen's University, Belfast, narcissists are likely to have a trait that's been closely linked to professional and academic success, mental toughness. In a nutshell, mental toughness is the mind's ability to hold on to its sense of self and self-worth when things aren't going so great. The boss didn't like your idea, No worries, he'll love the next one. And who cares what he thinks anyway? You're obviously a genius. It's easy to see a narcissist slipping into that pattern of thinking. And it's just as easy to see how that kind of thinking could be a major benefit to a person's career. To be clear, this study didn't look at people with narcissistic personality disorder. It just looked at participants with high but normal narcissism scores. And that was where they found the people with the highest mental toughness. Now, we're not saying that narcissism is a good thing or that you should try to cultivate it like it's a skill. I also can't emphasize enough that a clinical diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder is a real thing that can cause lots of complications in your life. Even if you're not a clinical narcissist, narcissism is part of the so-called dark triad of personality traits for a reason, along with psychopathy and Machiavellianism. You probably don't want to take on more narcissism than you naturally do. But if you regularly doubt yourself, it might not hurt to observe how the more self-centered people in your life think and borrow a little bit of that attitude at work. It's time for the second installment in our Moon Monday miniseries, where we'll teach you how the history of the moon has affected the world in some way. Last week, we talked about how the Babylonians had figured out sorrow cycles, which basically predict how often a solar eclipse will appear. Who cares, right? Well, thanks to this information, the Greek philosopher Thales predicted a solar eclipse that helped end a war, restore an economy, and build a philosophy school that trained a couple of history's greatest minds. Here's the story from Dr. David Warmflash. But in terms of the eclipse cycles, Thales learned about this. And in 585 BCE, during a war between a couple, at, at least two empires, there may have been a third one involved. But one, of our, one empire was the Medians Empire, the Medes, sort of in the area of Persia. And the other were the Lydian Empire that controlled a big chunk of Asia Minor, including Ionia. So the Ionians were Greeks who had been there for centuries because the Dorian invasion had pushed everybody all over the place. And they were living along the coast of Asia Minor and along those, those islands along the coast. And the Lydians were, were controlling them, and they wanted an end to the war. And knowing these sorrow cycles from the Babylonians, Thales was able, who was also a mathematician, he was able to calculate the likelihood of an eclipse. So he probably didn't know the moon was getting in front of the sun, and that's what was causing it, but he knew the mathematics of it. And he turned out he, was, he ended up being right, and he went to the, the, uh, the commanders of both sides, and he told them the gods are really upset about this war. 
we need an end to the war and to, to demonstrate that the gods are going to darken the sky on Tuesday at three o'clock or whatever. And he was, he got a little bit lucky because these cycles don't predict the, the eclipses that, you know, that precisely, but a little bit of luck also. And he got it right. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> this guy knows what he's talking about. And the war came to an end and Thales was also able to negotiate pretty good terms for the Ionians, which was good for Ionian business, because basically the Ionians were business people. They were maritime traders and all that. Thales himself had a certain amount of celebrity status because he predicted a really good olive harvest one year. And so he bought up all the olive presses and he got to be a really rich guy because that. So he had this money and he had this fame by ending the war and that helped him establish a, a philosophy school on the island of Miletus and people were flocking to come and, and study with him. And some people that we hear about were students of Thales, Pythagoras, for instance. Pythagoras was one of Thales' students. He eventually had a really didn't agree with Thales' whole approach to how, how you obtain knowledge, but he started out as one of Thales' students. He had another student, Anaximander, who is the earliest person we know of to come up with an evolutionary theory about the, the emergence of uh, humanity from fish, that we started out with fish. And he reasoned that fish don't need their, their, their mothers. They just come out of an egg and they either get eaten or they could survive. And so he reasoned that human infants couldn't have, we couldn't have been humans all the time because infants can't survive. And the first human would have to be an infant and then you have a chicken and egg problem. So he, he reasoned it back to, back to fish. Next week, we'll jump ahead to the Middle Ages and hear a fascinating story about the origins of astronomy. In the meantime, Dr. David Warmflash's book is called Moon, an Illustrated History, and you can pre-order it on Amazon today. You can also follow him on Twitter at Cosmic Evolution. We'll include links to all that and more in today's show notes. Our last story today is a little creepy, but biology isn't always pretty. And on the plus side, the next subject is mostly benign, and it led scientists to a groundbreaking and life-saving discovery. But still, the thing is, tumors can grow teeth. I told you it wasn't pretty. It's horrifying. It really is. I, our poor designer, our poor designer messaged me and was like, oh gosh, I, I Googled this to see if maybe I should include an image, and I just horrified myself. And I feel very bad that I didn't warn her. If you have a weak stomach, never Google anything medical. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, they're pretty bad. These are particularly bad. But we won't get too graphic with this audio story. Right. So I'm talking about tumors called teratomas, which is Greek roughly for monstrous tumors. No kidding. Teratomas haven't just been known to sprout teeth. They've been known to contain all kinds of tissue bone, muscle, hair, and elements of a nervous system. A mature teratoma can be big and painful and even persistent, but again, they're typically not dangerous. It's immature teratomas that have the most potential to develop into cancer. That's where the cells haven't yet turned into multiple tissue types. The reason teratomas can grow teeth is through the normal magic of germ cells. That's the type of stem cell that turns into an egg or sperm cell, which can then produce a fetus. Germ cells are what scientists call pluripotent, which means they can produce all different types of tissue. When germ cells go rogue, though, teratomas arise. In fact, all it takes is one germ cell going rogue. In the 1960s, embryologist Barry Pierce discovered that the root of every teratoma is a single germ cell, 
which produces a constant stream of new and varied cells that accumulate into a tumescent mass. Meanwhile, all the other cells in the tumor lead normal cellular lives and eventually die off. In other words, teratomas are a case of a bad apple ruining the bunch. Back to the silver lining of this story, though. Pierce's research ended up with implications beyond these toothy tumors. That discovery of pluripotency, the discovery that one cell could create many types of cells, eventually led to the discovery of stem cells in the 1980s. That's a breakthrough with massive implications, from the key to cloning animals to growing isolated human organs like hearts for people who need transplants. So in the end, teratomas really aren't as horrifying as they sound. Just like you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, maybe you shouldn't judge a tumor by its teeth, hair, and fully developed eyeball. That is disgusting. It really is. Read about today's stories and more on Curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.